whatever you're meant to do, the secret is finding out what that is. And if you can do that, you've got it made. Um, you might not, doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Doesn't mean, you know, all those, there's no guarantees, but you're going to be happy. And you're, you're going to be in a position literally to help other people or influence in some way. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can visit my website, MikeBrennan.me, to check out some of my visual art. Also, I would love to extend an invitation to you to join our free Facebook community called Daily Creative Habit. It's filled with creatives of all sorts, writers, painters, musicians, you name it, all showing up saying, I want to be more consistent with my creativity and craft. If that's you, if you'd like to be a part of this free community, simply head to dailycreativehabit.com and we look forward to seeing you in the group today. Now on this week's episode of Creative Chats, I get to sit down with Jim Rennert. Jim is an amazing sculptor and we talk about his journey and how he happens to come upon being this incredible sculptor. Uh, he came out of a business background, but yet always had this pursuit of art. And like many of our paths, it was a windy one. And you have to see some of Jim's work. I mean, it's really incredible. There's a lot of concept in his work. Uh, he takes some some things from his business background and brings that into some of his sculptures. I mean, these incredible, really huge sculptures. He talks about his process. And so if you've ever wondered, you know, what does it take to make some of these huge sculptures that you see out in public spaces? Uh, where, did this, where does this stuff come from? Well, Jim breaks down his process and talks about just how, you know, a lot of this, it just starts with a concept. It starts with a sketch and then he, you know, sets about creating these things and it's amazing to see them come to life. So I'm thankful to have this conversation with Jim today as he shares his process, as he shares his journey. And I know you're going to receive a lot of encouragement from him and his story. And he shares a lot of wisdom that he's learned along the way. Uh, like many of us, you know, the things that we go through, sometimes we wonder at the time, why on earth am I going through this? And yet we learn these valuable lessons not only for ourselves, but that we can eventually pass on to others. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Jim Renner. Well, Jim, welcome to the Creative Chats show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you, Mike. It's nice to, uh, it's nice to be here. So why don't you just start off telling us a little bit, like, who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm, uh, my name's Jim Renner. I'm a sculptor. Uh, I make, uh, bronze castings of, uh, basically taking ideas and trying to, uh, form a three-dimensional object, usually figurative, always figurative actually, but, uh, in a way that expresses a concept or an idea. Hmm. Most of it started, uh, from my business career, which was, uh, strenuous and, uh, not so successful, but, um, yeah, that, that's, I think, what I do. I'm, a, I'm able to take a concept and, and make a three-dimensional 
sometimes juxtapose figure uh, or figures to express an idea. Hmm. I love to explore connections with what people do creatively today in connection to what they may have done in the past and like finding that, that place where maybe as a kid or when you were younger, was there a moment where you felt like the seeds for what you're doing now started to be planted back then? Well, I, you know, I always loved to draw. Um, I was not that good at it, but I loved to draw. I also loved to play outside. So it wasn't like I stayed in the house all the time and drew, but, um, when I wasn't riding my bike and jumping off ramps and going through the deserts of Las Vegas, I would be in my, you know, in my kitchen or whatever, in the kitchen drawing, uh, mostly cartoon figures. And uh, I had a friend who I've never found since then. And I've actually looked for him. His name was Mike Dowling. And uh, he did comic book characters and he created his own comics. And I was so intrigued with that. I went over and I, I said, I want to, you know, we had like a, I think uh, we were in class together in uh, elementary school or maybe seventh grade. I don't remember now, but uh, I saw what he was doing. I said, I really want to do that. You know, I think it's, it's amazing. And uh, so he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. He says, you need to, and he's just a young kid like me, but he said, you need to like learn how to draw the figure. So I went to the art store. I mowed lawns to make money and I'd make five bucks to mow lawn or whatever. So I went to the art store and I bought a, a little booklet about how to draw the human figure, you know, which of course they were all nudes. And I'm like, what, 11 years old, maybe 12. I don't know. <laughs> so to me, it didn't really mean a lot, but I remember uh, sitting there at the, the dinner table when my stepfather came home and, and he saw me with this book on how to draw nudes. And he said, where'd you get that? I said, well, I went and bought it. And because I'm trying to learn how to draw the figure. And he goes, nope, we're not doing that. And he took my, my book away. And so I was like, but I, it wasn't, I mean, that was a funny experience that just came to mind. But I, I remember being very young and loving to draw and thinking this is what I'd like to do. Um, but then that was kind of ripped out of my hands at that point. And uh, then I end up taking a drawing class my sophomore year in high school. And uh, it's the only art class I'd ever taken. And I uh, got a C minus. And so I thought, wow, I just, I'm not. And of course, you know, back then it was in class, it was how realistic could you draw? Mm -hmm. And yeah. many kids were very realistic and very, very good. And of course I was C talent minus and they were A talent. And so I thought, you know, I guess I'm really never going to be able to achieve achieve that so i did i was always interested i always thought that's what i would be and ended up uh kind of having that always jerked away every time i tried to turn to it mm. I'll, so, I'll tell you one interesting story that, mm -hmm, yeah. that, uh, that i was reminded of by a friend when i was a stockbroker uh we had uh you know maybe 40 people at the firm and there was a couple of guys that uh we're working there and we were at lunch one day and, and uh, the one kid says, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a stockbroker. I want to be a, a pilot. And this other kid goes, well, I don't want to be a stockbroker. I want to be, a, uh, I want to make movies. And I said, well, I don't want to be a stockbroker. I want to be an artist. And now we're talking 30 years later, the one friend is chief airlines for spirit or chief pilot for spirit airlines. The other guy has been nominated on a short list for Academy award for documentaries. 
and now I make sculptures and have been doing that. And, and that's really interesting that knowing what I wanted to be when I was young, thinking I couldn't be it, still thinking that's what I wanted, and eventually found it, which uh, all three of us did that, which I thought was really a powerful story that, that you really become who you are, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's not the most direct path there either, and that people shouldn't get discouraged by that because it, it, it sometimes needs to find its right way and its right time, right? Yeah, and I, you know, having not gone through art school, which I was always kind of disappointed that I hadn't. I mean, I found clay when I was 34. Um, and I was so jealous of all of these guys that I became acquainted with when I started going to the foundry to find out how to make clay things bronze. I didn't have any idea how to do it, but I knew that's what needed to happen. And uh, then I would meet these guys and they had started many years earlier and were so much further along than me. And I was so jealous. And then they would look at me and they were jealous because they were like, you have no idea how uh, good it is that you didn't go to art school. <laughs> I'm like, why? And they said, because the baggage that comes with art school, it's so tough to get through that. And he said, he and many others said, uh, you just do what you do. And you don't, you don't think about any of those things. You just express yourself. And that's a really wonderful thing that they, that they saw. So you do have to find your own way, I think. And I'm not saying art school is not good because I never went through it. I don't have that experience, but I do know eventually that, uh, that you can find out who you are, you know? Mm, yeah. So I was lucky so, to, have, to have found that. When, when you're, you're in business, right. And you're thinking, okay, this is what I want to do, you know, is, is be an artist. What did that look like for you as far as closing that gap of where you wanted to be and where you were and how you made that transition? Well, I'm not the brightest guy in the world because a smart <laughs> guy would never do it. I'm not kidding. I, uh, I, I mean, I ended up, so I left being a stockbroker. I went to work for, a. I did a few other things, but then I went to work for a, uh, a furniture, office furniture, cubicle store or shop. They sold, you know, Kimball office furniture and still case, you know, things like that. And I was terrible at it. And of course, it takes a very long time to figure that out. But I got fired from that. And at that, while I was working for them, I'd found clay. I started making some sculptures. I did a piece. Um, of a skier because I was in out west and then living in the mountains, the Wasatch Mountains. And and so I thought, well, this would be interesting. I saw my brother ski, you know, jumping off a cliff. I thought that would be a great sculpture. So I did it. And then I uh, had to cast it. But there's more to that story. But going back, I ended up my second piece I cast was golfers. And so I had the first piece cast, cast the second piece because I love to play golf. And uh, so I ended up getting fired from this furniture company. And uh, I thought, well, I guess I'm unemployable. I mean, that may be just it. I'm 34, 30, by then I'm like 36, I guess. So I thought, well, I'm going to take this piece and I'm going to go to every rich golfer I know, you know, go to the country club people, and I'm going to see if I can sell them. And I ended up selling three for uh, 2000 bucks a piece, which is so inexpensive for a bronze, but I cast them myself. I've gone through the whole process of learning and getting equipment and everything, but 
I uh, sold three of them and I thought, well, there's six grand. I'm off and running. And I never, I thought, here we go, you know? So it was a very fast transition, to be honest with you. But given my business background, maybe I wasn't, uh, I'm getting more shy. This is what's funny. <laughs> At that time, I wasn't shy and I wasn't like, you know, self-conscious as you become when you express yourself. I think it's a natural part of becoming an artist because you're digging deep inside yourself and then you throw things out there and you're somewhat, you know, nervous about how it's accepted. And at that time, I wasn't at all. I was like, hey, look what I made, you know, do you want one? And so I was able to just go out and knock on doors. And, uh, I knew how to sell um, to an extent. And I thought, okay, I, I might as well spend my time doing this and making art is for myself instead of doing it for some other company. That was my, that was my leap of faith that I, that I took. Mm, yeah. And was it hard? Yeah, it was hard. There's no doubt about <laughs> it. You always go broke. I don't know what it is. There's just some sort of formula that most, not all, but most artists trying to uh, make it. I mean, you end up just giving it everything you've got and it really tests, test you to see if this is really what you want to do. And, uh, but it was, and, and I, I really felt like I had no other choice. So I was just going for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting thinking about sculpture, especially like the things that you do because they're so large thinking, okay, if you do a drawing or painting or whatever, and you have that and there's not like an immediate sale or there's not, you know, somebody who's commissioned that it's not a big deal for that to be hanging around or for you to, you know, kind of try to go out and, and find somebody to, to purchase that. But yeah. for sculpture, when it's something that's that large and that expensive, I'm sure to make, like, how did you navigate that aspect of it? And was it just like, I'm doing this because I want to do this for myself first and foremost, and then I'm going to try to find somebody to buy. Like you said, you went around to different people or were there opportunities where people in the early days started to come to you once they recognized and then started to commission that? Like, how does that work? It was kind of both at the same time. Um, I had done uh, some things of my children. So I did a bust of my, my son. And uh, people would see that and they'd say, can you do that for me? And I thought, well, this is better than digging ditches. Not that hats off to all the guys digging ditches because that's hard work, you know. But I thought if I can do this and not have to dig ditches to make a living, then, then I'm going to do this. So the commissions uh, really at first were very, very helpful um, to continue to bring money in. Uh, but it was word of mouth. It was slow going. I had some very, very good patrons, um, one of which had me do a, uh, he came, he, he said to me, I want you to, well, first he wanted me to, he had me do his children. And then uh, I ended up adding he and his wife, he didn't really want to be in it, but his wife wanted him in this whole thing. So I had all of their bust. And then he said, I'd really like you to do something for my office. And uh, so I really thought about it and I thought, um, and it was, he was a developer. So this was going to be in the lobby of one of his buildings. And I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe I'll do this big golfing piece. Cause we used to play golf a lot together. As a matter of fact, we used to play golf, uh, wholesale retail. If you liked the piece, it got to that point that I went, <laughs> it was, I was laying out a piece of art for the match and he was putting up cash. And sometimes it was more, sometimes it was less depending on how I did 
which was a lot of fun. But anyway, he wanted me to do this piece. So I finally went, you know, I'm thinking about business. And for me, business was such a wrestling match. Um, when you go to school for business, you don't understand that, you know, it's like, it seems really easy. Somebody wants a glass. You go find a glass and then you say, I've got a glass. And, you know, you buy it for this much, you sell it for this much and everybody's happy. Well, you order a thousand of those or whatever it is. Well, they're late delivering. They need them by a certain date. Now you're in business. Now you've got to figure out how you're going to get it done in time to fill that order. And it becomes a real, I mean, it's real business. So I ended up saying, uh, let me, let me do this idea. And so I had two guys in suits wrestling. I wrestled in college. To me, business had been a wrestling match. And uh, I'd have done a lot better if it really was a wrestling match than it, than it was business. But, but I did this piece called A Deal's A Deal. He always told me, look, a deal's a deal. And I said, okay, so that's the title of it. And I had one guy look, looking like he's flying over the back with his briefcase because he wasn't keeping the deal, you know, and he loved it. And so that was a piece that uh, I actually had to do three times for him. I did it initially. He said it was too big. I did a life size. And I kept saying, it's not too big. What do you mean? He goes, no, it's too big. And then clay. And so I did it like a third life. And he comes in and he goes, nah, it's too small. You got to do it in between. So I actually sculpted this piece three times. You talk about commissions being difficult, but he knew what he wanted and he knew I could do it. And, and that was really one of the first commissions that I ended up doing in this series where the, it's a business idea. So it's the concept of a deal's a deal and somebody's not keeping it. So they're like wrestling over that. So. Mm. I, I love how fluid it moves in and out of the relationships that you have and, and the circumstances that are happening and you're responding with your art. Um, you know, it's very real time, you know, in that. And, you know, I'm curious when you're, when you're going about doing this, you know, you said you, you do these in, in clay and then you cast it. Right. Um, yeah. What does the actual full process look like? I mean, do you, I'm assuming you probably start with a sketch, you know, the concept and then build your way out from there. Like, can you walk us a little bit through like from sure. start to finish what that process looks like? Sure. Let me, let me tell you first, thanks for the compliment. I, I do sure. appreciate it. Um, the, uh, the process, as you know, I've already mentioned, I don't draw very well. So mm -hmm. at first I uh, would just get the armature. I would, you know, the first thing is you have to make something out of clay. So in order to do that, you have an armature of wire held by, you know, supported because the first ones I made, I had to hold them in my hand and every time I'd set them down, I'd have to touch up and it didn't work. And I was also using the wrong clay. I was using a water-based clay. Not that you can't do that, but for me, it wasn't working in the type of work I was trying to do. So um, the first thing is, is you have to do uh, an armature, which will support your clay. And again, it's an oil-based clay, so it never dries. Secondly, you have to make a mold of that. Um, you make a mold out of silicone rubber and uh, that you paint on. And I had to learn this whole process. I'd go down. I went to an art professor and I said, can I you know, what do you think? And he goes, well, you can sculpt, you know? I said, do I need to go back to school? And he says, no, not to be a sculptor. And I went, thank you. Cause I had five kids and one on the way at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought going back to school would just be horrible. But um, anyway, he introduced me to a foundry and they took me under their wing. You get, I've had such luck um, and, and, you know, people supported people along the way, but I figured I had to learn the whole process. So I'd go there and, 
5.30 in the morning and I'd work there on my things because I said, I can't afford to pay you guys to do things. So they let me come in and they, I learned the whole process. So the next phase after you do the sculptures, you need to make a mold out of rubber. Then you have to back that roll uh, mold with plaster and you have to part everything so it comes apart. So everything is handmade specific to the item. Sometimes you're cutting arms off in order to make separate molds of those and then put them back together later. So you make the mold, then you open it up, you cut it open off the clay, and then you take all the clay out. You use the clay for another project. So you, you don't keep that, I mean, as is. Then you put it back together and now you make a wax replica of what you've made in clay with that mold. So you pour hot wax into the mold you do that a few times so where it's like a Christmas Easter egg, or no, an Easter Easter egg, Easter Easter egg, Easter chocolate egg. There you go. And uh, so it's hollow. Uh, then you prepare that because you have to make another mold around that that will withstand the heat of the bronze. Bronze is poured at 22, 2300 degrees. So you make that out of ceramic. You, you have a slurry, which is a liquid. You, you, you uh, have to dip it in and then you throw silica sand on it until it's about three eighths to a half inch thick. So when you fire it, the wax will melt out and the, and the mold, the ceramic won't break. So you fire it, all the wax melts out. Then you've melted your bronze, you heat up your ceramic and you pour hot bronze into that and it fills whatever was waxed before, which is the replica of what you made in clay, now becomes the mold for the bronze. And then you chip off all of that ceramic, sandblasted all the feed lines and weld whatever pieces are back together, re-sculpt all the lines with metal tools and then patina it, put it on a base or however you're gonna present it. That's the process. I actually couldn't afford, like I mentioned earlier, to pay these guys. I paid them for the first piece, but I'm like, I can't afford this. This is way too much. So I end up buying all of the equipment at auctions. I bought a six, $7,000 piece of equipment that melts bronze to 2,300 degrees in a crucible, 90 pounds for $300. And I'm like, okay. And I, <laughs> it's heavy, but I had about six friends help me put it in my driveway. I used to do this in my driveway, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, I did the whole thing. I did mold, I did the sculpting, the mold making, the uh, pouring of the waxes, the dipping in the ceramic, melting out in my front driveway which was always thought always thought I was going to get in trouble but never did for like six years I it was like a plume of smoke that I thought I'd be in trouble for but never did and then I'd pour the bronze and do all the finish work and then do that so how I navigated what your question was was how did you navigate I think that process um if I could cast myself for about 10 to 15 percent the price that it would cost me at the foundry. So I did that for a long time um, because that enabled me to get a lot of inventory out there, plus not having to pay a foundry to make it. So after I sold that first piece, that's when the, the, the decision was like, or the, the choice came. I, say it's a thousand dollars. This is how it starts out anyway. I did back then. Say it cost you a thousand dollars to make it the foundry. You're going to sell it for three thousand at the gallery because you got to pay the foundry back, or pay the, be reimbursed for what you paid them. You get a thousand bucks, which you use to reimburse, and then uh, the the uh, gallery gets a thousand bucks. So I figured I had to do at least two parts of that, and I didn't want to open a gallery because that's a consistent 
cost and you have to staff it. And I didn't have enough pieces to even put in it or I could learn to make it myself. And so I decided I would do it that way. And that's how I navigated also that transition. Um, I, I mean, to, to make every penny count, you know, I mean, I had to do that in order to get work out. So I used to do it in my driveway, which was hilarious in, uh, <laughs> in Utah. <laughs> Well, I, love I had it. great neighbors. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it because it's a testimony testimony to your um, just determined spirit in that you were going to get this done and that you, this is something you truly wanted. And what I hear in you and in your story is at, at every turn that there was some kind of obstacle or some kind of problem to solve, you just leaned into it and said, you know what? I'm going to figure this out because this is really what I want to do yeah. and I need to move forward. Right. I, I'm, I'm a worker. I mean, I love to work. I don't know. I mean, I love to play too, but I love to work. And uh, it was really funny. One time uh, a guy from a museum said to me, I want to come to your place, the curator. And I said, you really don't want to come to my place. Why would you want to come to my place? It's a mess. I mean, this, this garage was, I look at pictures now and I'm like, oh my, I can't even believe. It. And other artists would say, how do you work in here? And I'd say, I only need this much space if I'm doing, you know, or if I'm this much, if I'm doing a big one. But they had, you know, they'd gone through art school and had big studios and I had this garage. But this guy says to me, he says, I just can't believe you're doing this at your house. And I want to see how you're doing it. And I didn't realize how unusual that was, you know, but that's what it took. If And if that's what it took, that's what I was going to do. Mm. And it really, really helped me. Even now to have, I got so busy, I couldn't keep up with sales, which is a great thing that for any artist to ever have. Plus I was working so much. I mean, it was, I was a one man show um, that, uh, but now it's a real benefit when I go to the foundry because I know exactly what they're doing. I know exactly what needs to be done. And they like an educated artist from the standpoint of, you, you're not trying to make things that uh, that are hard to make, you know what I mean? You're not, you, mm -hmm. you, you try to make it to where it's not a difficult thing for them, you know, and, and I'm able to do that. And if something's not done right, I'm able to show them and, and they all respect me. I mean, I, I could be a welder, you know, metal chaser, dipper. I mean, I know the whole process. So that's been a, that's been a good thing to at least go through. Mm, yeah. At what point in the, all of this did you then get established with a gallery? And what did that look like? This is like a crazy story. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I had one piece and it was this skier, um, you know, this one of my youngest brother. And I lived in Utah. So Park City's a ski resort area. And uh, it's also got a lot of galleries. So I thought, well, I'll drive up to Park City. It's a half hour away. And I'll uh, go into the galleries and show them my work. So, which was one piece. That was my work. And so also it weighed 90 pounds, by the way. But I was much younger and much stronger back then. But I, and it's also on a hill, which is kind of funny. This is why I'm a C minus student, is I start at the bottom instead of the top of the hill going down. I'm walking up and it's summertime and I'm getting exhausted. I'd go into a gallery, I'd say, set it down on the table and I'd say, here's my piece. I think I'm an artist, love to have somebody sell this for me. And they'd all say no, you know, and, and it was maybe probably 10 galleries I've gone on all the way up to the top of the hill. The second gallery from the top, the guy goes, yeah, I'll represent you. 
And I was like, I didn't know at the time. I was just so uneducated. I had one piece, not 20 that they can look at and see the slides or see what your work's really all about. See if you're really going to make it, you know I mean? Continue to make more art if they get behind you. And the guy just took a chance on me. He says, yeah, I, I think I can sell this for you. And I remember the first piece. So that was 90, I think 91 was, this is getting my age away too, by the way, but 91 was when I think I bought clay, 90 or 91. And then 93 is when I got in the first gallery. And, then, and they used to send a receipt that looked like a certificate, which was really kind of cool. And uh, I remember getting my first receipt from them saying this sold there's the amount of money and then the checks in the envelope you know and i was just like this is the first time i sold anything that well was sold in my work to, to somebody i didn't know by a gallery and i i've kept that to this day because it meant a lot to me um, i'm still in that same gallery after almost 30 years they they've they progressed with me as my artist progressed which has been so initially it was kids and commissions and skiers and then climbers and then bikers then once i found you know my history coming out in my business experience because of this commission that uh, my friend had me do that was what that's what i went with mm. but, Love that. yeah i look back <laughs> on that I, it's unbelievable to be yeah. honest with you yeah it's like the I one paint you walk in here you go this is it what do you yeah. say <laughs> I, I love <laughs> I love that they were willing to flex with you and grow with you, like you just said, because I think so many times there's that there's that moment where artists would worry if I get involved with the gallery and they are interested in me because of a certain series of work that I'm doing, they're going to want to keep me in that box because they know that that's what sells. That's what they're interested in. And yet as an artist, always trying to continue to grow and explore new things. And having that balance, right, um, where you're feeling like you're delivering something quality and people can have confidence in that and yet still taking chances, right? Yeah. Um, what does that look like in your art practice today? Well, just go back on that because it's an interesting thing. Um, I was basically doing uh, creating decorative work, and that was fine. But I wanted to say more. And uh, so I started going back to my business uh, background and all of the difficulties. So it ended up that I was in the Park City Arts Festival, I think it was 1996 or 90, I don't remember now, but I can't remember last week. So but <laughs> anyway, um, the, the, the owner of the gallery, they were retiring and their daughter had come in to take over the gallery. And, um, so I'd been with her for a few years. And then she said, she called me up one day. And she's super nice. And she says, Jimmy, we're going we're gonna to do a change in the gallery. We're going to change things around. And I said, okay. And she goes, well, that means I'm, I, I'm not going to represent you anymore. And I said, but I'm working on some really new things. I think you'll really like them. And she's like, which was the business series. And she goes, uh, no, it's okay. You know, we love you. We think the world of you. We want to wish you the best, but you'll need to come up and get your work. And so I did. So I went up and got my work. And then two months later, the Park City Arts Festival was happening. And I happened to be able to get a booth. Uh, it's juried and you don't get accepted every time. Even if you're in the year before, you might not get in the next year. There's no guarantees. But anyway, I got in. 
And she comes, I set up the booth and I had the skiers and things on the one side. And then I had two businessmen boxing at, at the front that were pretty good size. And then all the other business ideas, which were about five or six, I think at the time. And I see her go walking by and I said, hi, Susan. And she goes, hey. And, and then she goes out of frame, you know, and then all of a sudden she comes back and she's like, what is this? And I said, well, this is what I was telling you about. This is the new work. And she goes, I like this. And I said, well, I thought you would. You just wouldn't listen. <laughs> and she says, okay, after the show, we need to talk. And so she left. And then uh, Karen came by who owned another gallery in, in Park City right next to hers. And uh, she said, uh, I could sell this right now for you today, if you let me represent you. And I said, well, she said, are you representing Park City? Well, I said, I was, as she, you know, but I, and she said, well, go with me and I can sell that piece right now. And I said, well, I kind of committed and, and I've been with them for so long. I said, let me give her first ride refusal. If she doesn't want to carry me, then I'll go to you. And she goes, fair enough, that's fine. Well, of course, Susan kept me and then she's kept me ever since, which has been great. So what was your question though? Did I answer it? I don't remember I was going somewhere. Yeah, that. yeah. I was just asking about how you're, how changing, you know, maintaining the, oh, the sense of, yeah. you know, consistency, yet growing as an artist, yeah. how you manage that today. That's how, that's how that happened. I mean, that's the reason for that story was she stuck with me, even, you know, once she saw the new work, but you have to express yourself. You have to keep learning. And so initially on my work, it was very realistic, even though I'm not a realist. I mean, I can do, I can do bust and, um, and, uh, of, of individuals. And I did life sizes. I did big grandfathers out fishing and things like that for people. But, um, what would happen with the work as I got into the business concepts is they would say, who is that? And I'd say, it's nobody. It's a concept, you know, it's the concept that momentum. And they say, no, but it, it, isn't it somebody? And I'm like, no, it could be anybody. So then I thought, okay, I, I don't want to be that specific in the sculpting. So I started um, being much more simple, much more simplistic. Uh, no more flying ties, no more flying suit coats. Uh, no more faces, just very subtle bridge and a nose. And uh, the suit is just basically a silhouette. It's almost like their body, you know. And that became, that was a good move for me to, to go that way. Because I think it, it, for me, it made the work a lot stronger. And for people, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a period of time to where a lot of the people that had bought the earlier work were disappointed that I wasn't continuing in that mode. But I, once I went the other way, I wasn't going to make any more, you know? Mm -hmm. And so luckily uh, I had galleries stick with me and I had a lot of collectors stick with me, but not all of them because they like the other. As a matter of fact, I would have to do a commission. Uh, I remember doing a tug of war, which was the business as usual, uh, the three guys on each side. And it was an old work and early work and very detailed and the guy said that's what I want so I sculpted it but he wanted it seven feet wide so I sculpted it like I sculpt now and sent it and because he's this is a funny thing too the difference between businessmen and artists but they had a deadline when that had to be done and it was very quickly you know very quick very, not, not very long and so I didn't have time to get approval you know on everything I said look I need to send that I said no just keep going 
So finally, when it got there, uh, he bought, I think, five pieces for his new office. And most of them were early works that he'd seen that I still had available. And then this was the commission piece. And I brought that in. And about a week goes by. And his people call the gallery I was working through. And then all of a sudden, we're all on a conference call. And uh, he says, uh, you know, Jim, I really like this. I love your work. But I'm having trouble with this one piece. It's not like I it was originally. And I said, well, this is because I'm growing as an artist and I've, you know, and he says, and, and I think he paid 140,000 for it. I mean, it was expensive, you know, and, and he's a billionaire and all that stuff, but it was like, he says, I don't know what to do with this one piece. So what, what can we do? He says, I'd really like it like it was. And I said, I'll make it like it was then. And I lost some money on it, believe it or not, um, doing that. But he was so happy um he ended up buying more work and had me do some more things for his company but just the fact and this is where that commission side goes you go back and forth on because i wanted to do it this way but if he's not happy and he's paid all this money the last thing i want somebody to do is be looking at my work going god i don't like it you know mm -hmm. so for me and it was my business background again and it's not that the client's always right or the customer but it was that I didn't want somebody looking at my work and be disappointed. So I literally just redid it for him at no cost. And he really appreciated that. So that's another way that's difficult, you know, for an artist to go back and do what they're not wanting to do anymore. But I don't know. I, I just think you, you have to reach out. You have to keep growing. You also have to make money and you also want to have people be happy. So yeah, that's how I navigate it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a great answer and very honest answer. So I appreciate that for sure. Um, what is what are the themes now of like what the work that you're doing currently? Like, talk a little bit about that, like your, your current stuff. Well, you want to go through COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Um, yeah. It was really funny because uh, I, you know, as artists, you work pretty much on your own. I mean, mm -hmm. Um, I live alone. I, you know, I work, but I'm also social when I don't want to work. I want to see people. Well, during COVID, you can't do that. I mean, it got pretty serious in New York. You can't really get around. And so the gallery kept saying, look, we want to do a piece on all the artists, what they're doing through COVID. And I, and I said to Lindsay, I said, so how about I just take my phone, put it on record and I'll be in bed for 24 hours. <laughs> that's what's going on right now. I can't go anywhere. I'm depressed. I'm not going anywhere. And uh, she goes, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And I said, all right. So I ended up doing several pieces that are pretty interesting to me. Um, one was a guy in a birdcage called Cage But Not Conquered because everybody felt that way. At least that's how I assimilated it. It was like, yeah. I feel like I'm in a birdcage and I can't get out. I did uh, a guy, uh, I do a lot of figures um, before they were sports oriented a lot. I would use sports as a metaphor, tug of wars, walking on tight ropes, uh, wrestling, boxing, things like that. But then, then it got more cerebral. It got really what's going on inside your head. And so I had during COVID just, and I just barely cast it, but it's a, it's a guy with his hands up just, and it's called OMG. It's just like, 
Oh my God, really? You know, uh, I've got three guys in suits, all one guy's in the middle. He's pointing both ways guys in front of him. He's pointing this way guys behind him. He's pointing that way. And I think I should just call it Fox news, MSNBC and, and, uh, and CNN because I just felt so confused, uh, during this COVID experience and how politicized it got. And everybody's telling you one thing and everybody's telling you something else that I felt like I had to get that out. And that's how I portrayed it. I call it four corners, which can be used in so many things. But to me, it was literally, I'm just watching everybody telling me what to do when somebody's telling me something different. And then I've got another one called FU, which um, you can imagine what that means, but it's two guys, you know, yelling and screaming at each other. And I normally at this point have not put any mouths or any details of the face, but on that one, I've got their mouths wide open because it's like, you know, um, but those are some of the pieces that uh, I, I've got a guy on a tricycle that uh, it's called fast track because now he's on a tricycle. We're going nowhere, you know? So COVID was a real experience for me and I'm just barely, we're now in New York city, finally opening it up. And, uh, and it's been really good for me and everybody. Um, and so I'm hoping that maybe, <laughs> maybe there'll be a little lighter as I keep going forward, but uh, I've got some ideas I'm working on, but I haven't, I haven't got anything in clay yet. So I just barely finished up six new pieces. I've got another one. I really like this not cast yet. And it's at the foundry. And it's uh, if you if you look in a military situation where guys are going in and carrying their wounded out or whatever, uh, that's going to be called tribute, which is a tribute to the essential workers, because they're the ones that kept us going, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I really appreciated the fact that I could go to the grocery store and get groceries still. I really appreciated that if I was sick, I could, you know, get some attention. Um, apparently, toilet paper was a big deal for a lot of people, but. Um, yeah. wasn't for me, but we had plenty around here, but, but it was those things that kept life going, you know, and, uh, I really wanted to do something that, that gave them the tribute to, uh, saying thanks. And, mm -hmm. and, and almost all, also, which was really interesting in COVID, you really saw people. Um, I mean, I got help. Um, I help people. Everybody came together. Most everybody, of course, everybody's a big word, but most everybody came together and had such compassion and such, you know, helping each other and then needing help and getting help. And I think that was one of the, the beautiful things about, about that experience, even though it's still going on, but difficult, difficult time. And uh, to see people come together, that's what that piece is all about, which, mm. which I thought was, was really nice. So that's yeah. what I've got coming out right now. The finishing up of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of finishing up, we are actually at the top of our time already. Hard to believe. Um, I've so enjoyed just hearing your insights and, and the stories behind and just hearing about your work and, and the concepts and all of that, the process. I mean, it's been just phenomenal. Thank you for that. Um, well, but I want to I want to ask one last question, and that would be, what's something that's a piece of advice someone gave to you that you could pass along to someone who's listening right now? You know, uh, I don't remember if it, it wasn't Chuck Yeager. He was a test pilot, but it was another pilot during World War II. And I don't remember if it was Doolittle. It might be Doolittle. But he believed um, that everybody has a purpose. And you, he felt like this was what he needed to be doing. And, and he felt like everybody has that. And if you can find that, that's what 
that's where the gold, I mean, that's where everything, your, your, uh, your worth and your value come out and, and the, the ability to help others in whatever capacity that is, whatever you're meant to do, the secret is finding out what that is. And if you can do that, you've got it made. Um, you might not, doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Doesn't mean, you know, all those, there's no guarantees, but you're going to be happy. And you're, you're going to be in a position literally to help other people or influence in some way for good, I think. And uh, I remember reading that and thinking, this is before I was an artist and thinking about it, thinking, I wonder what it is in me. It can't be selling stocks, you know, it can't be doing this. And uh, I was lucky enough to find it on a total by chance going into the art store and buying clay instead of paper. And uh, if somebody can find out their purpose, because I too believe that same thing. I believe everybody has something and yeah. you just need to find it. And uh, that would, that, that piece of advice is what really struck home with me. And, and uh, the wrestling background kept you going because I got to tell you, you know, it's an individual sport, even though it's team, but it's just you and your opponent and, and you don't quit. You know, you can't quit. And so, but I, I really liked, and I think it was Doolittle. I may be wrong. Somebody might be able to correct and send in a message on that, but I, I believe that was, was him. And I really, really responded to that. Mm, love that. I, and I totally resonate with that as well. Um, and I think you're spot on with that, with when you have your purpose and you're aligned in that, then you yourself are working from a better place and living in a better place. And then you're able to influence and help those around you as well. So perfectly said. Yeah. Well, thanks. Mike. So before we go, can you just let us know um, where can people see your work and how can they follow you on the internet? Like give us all the links and all the, uh, you know, information basically that you can. You bet. So that my, web can, yeah. you, you bet. my website's just my name, jimrenert.com, R-E-N-N-E-R-T. Um, and you can see the website there with his, much as I can, my son, I, I just talked to him last night and he's been doing my website since he was in eighth grade and he's uh, 37 now. <laughs> so he just updated again for me, but uh, you'll see the work there and any news and press. Uh, Cavalier Galleries is my uh, exclusive agent. I'm in other galleries as well, but he's my agent. He handles all my inventory and everything that's out there. And that's cavaliergalleries.com. Uh, if they're on the streets in New York, I have 10 large figures uh, right now, which is a show we're going to be doing on the 21st that opens. And uh, there's a map, there'll be a map that people can see and they can do a walkabout uh, in the city of New York and see 10 different uh, large figures that I've done. Uh, on my Instagram is underscore Rennert works and underscore. And that's another way that I really like Instagram because uh, it's pretty simple and easy and you can, you know, it's a one shot deal. Up to 10 yeah. now, I, but, but those are the, that's how you can stay in touch with me and uh, see the work and what, what's coming out and where the shows are. That's awesome. And I'm definitely going to have to check out your work in, in New York city. Cause I'm right over in New Jersey. So. Oh, oh, come on over. Yeah. I am definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll send you a map. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thank you for our me, time. I'll take today. you around. I just did. A oh tour yeah. With, hey, I just did let's a tour do with it. a friend of mine's uh, uh, a daughter one of my daughter's friends from, from college and she says I'm in town. And so we got on bikes and we did the little tour um, and it was really fun. So yeah, oh, let me know. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Like a plan for sure. So right. thank you, Jim. Hey, thank you, Mike.
Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.